Well, good morning. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Tuesday to Church. My name is Brian Davis, and if you're watching online, glad you're watching. You guys in the lobby, glad you guys are here. And look, hey, it is a treat for me to be here with you guys today. You know, me and your pastor go way back, okay? Like 2008. That's a long time, okay? I'm only 31 years old. It's a long time. Here's the story. So it was in 2008. I was a freshman at UNC Greensboro, and uh, I didn't know God. I didn't know Jesus, and God sent this 23-year-old single guy into my dorm, into my life to share and show the gospel to me, and by God's grace, I became a believer, started walking with God, and Kyle discipled me for three years. In fact, I would say this. I was the disciple whom Kyle loved. I believe that. I believe that. So it's a treat to come full circle. I'm so grateful for him and for his family, uh, for his wife, Marty, who plays a big role in my wife's life as well, and for your church. I mean, you guys are awesome. We have been to two weekenders, our, our, our core team, and we've learned so much. Your staff, my goodness, your staff is like the Avengers. <laughs> World's greatest superheroes, okay? Whether it be Pastor Dave just dominating details everywhere, whether it be Caleb Duvick, the community group whisperer, right? Carrie Strickland, the, the social media specialist, I remember ran into her, we were at, there was a staff thing and we were, uh, she's getting coffee. Like, Carrie, could you kind of just share with me some things you've learned about social media? And gold came out of her mouth for about 20 minutes, just gold over and over, and over again. It's amazing, it's amazing. I can, go keep, I can keep going, you know, Pastor Stephen, the only guy I know who is well-versed in both theology and tractors, right? <laughs> It's amazing, great, great staff. So we are grateful for you guys. And uh, you know, we are picking up the end of your series in 1 Corinthians, Christ, Culture, and the Church. And here like the series, I've been listening to a few of your sermons. And the big idea is that God has designed the church to influence the culture. But what happens so often is the other way around. But the culture influences the church. And you've seen it already in 1 Corinthians. You've seen sexual sin. You've seen substance abuse. You've seen pride and envy and division, all sorts of things. And this is the end of the book. It's 1 Corinthians. Go ahead and turn there, chapter 16. And here's the conclusion. Now, here's the thing about conclusions. Quick word about this. It is very tempting to skip past these conclusions. Okay, this is it. It's over. But if you do that, you might miss something. Quick little story. My, our worship director got me into Marvel movies, okay? Thank you. Praise God for that. That's right. <laughs> My first amen, not even about the Bible, just about Marvel. Praise God. It's great, great. So, you know, my first Marvel movie was several years ago. I had no idea that it has like, you know, there's the end credit scene at the end. You know what I'm talking about? When the credits roll at the very end, there's a really important scene, right? Setting up the next movie or whatever it is. No one told me that. I wasn't aware. So the movie ends, the credits roll, I stand up. I'm the only one standing, by the way, okay? And our worship director, he was still like drinking his soda. He didn't even look at me. He just grabbed me by the back of the shirt, pulled me down, and he said, something important's about to happen. Something important's about to happen. That's how I feel about the end of this book. That's how I feel about the end of this series. And that's how I want to feel and how I want to lead my people to feel every time we sit under the word of God. Something important about to happen. God's gonna speak. Let's do this. Let's just pause and pray that we would have expectant hearts, that we would expect that something important is about to be said. We're gonna open God's word and hear from him. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, help us. 
We wanna hear from you today. We wanna hear your word, God. We believe that you have something special and important in store for us. So prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare our hands and our feet to run and to do it. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So big idea for today. By the way, um, I speak quickly. Now, you may not think that because your pastor speaks way faster than I do, okay? So in last week at my, my church, someone put a suggestion in the offering box, which that's not what that's for, by the way. It's only for money, that's it. The suggestion said this, all it said, preacher speak slower, that's all it said. I'll do my best, but no, no promises, okay? But you, you probably will be able to catch with me. But here's the big idea for today, okay? It's about the gospel. The gospel is two things. It's our message, but it's also our method. It's our message and it's our method. It's our message, we believe. We sing about it. Jesus, who is risen from the dead, he is seated at the right hand of God. Anyone who puts their faith in him can be forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, have compassion given to them. That's, that's our message. But it's more than that. It's also our method. It's how we live. It's not just what we believe. It's how we behave. And there's so many things in our lives. If we could just understand that, we could make sense of things. Here's the thing. The gospel's not everything, but it does impact everything. Okay, so for example, one quick example. There is a massive conversation going on right now, both inside and outside the church about the issue of power. What is power? Is power good, is power bad? Should power be spread? Most people in the culture would say this, power corrupts, right? Absolute power corrupts, power corrupts, absolutely. That's what the culture says. That's probably not true. Andy Crouch, he is this famous Christian thinker. He says that power reveals what is. In other words, power does not corrupt character. Power reveals character. And so that pushes us to think, how does the gospel speak about power? Here's here's how it goes. The one who was all-powerful, who existed from eternity past, how did he use his power? How do he use his authority? How do he use his influence? He used that power, authority, and the influence to save, rescue, and redeem you. And so when God gives you power, when God gives you authority, when God gives you influence, what do you do? You spend that power. You spend that authority. And you spend that influence to love, honor, and serve other people. You see, the gospel's not everything, but it does impact everything. It's our message, but it's also our method. And we're gonna see two things in the text. Two things that the gospel pushes us to do. It gives you giving and going. Giving and going. Two very simple, easy things, easy, obvious applications of the gospel. Paul's gonna talk about it, giving and going. And just real quick, these things are so obvious this way. For God so loved the world that he, he gave. Christians should give. And going. Let's just do some real quick Trinitarian theology for a second. Ready for it? The Father sent the Son. 
the Son sent the Spirit, and the Spirit sent the church. Christians should go. Giving and going. Two ideas in the text. And we're going to see how those two ideas are not random, separate ideas just floating out. No, they're actually connected. We'll, see the, we'll even see the bridge there. Let's begin first with giving. I'm sure what I mean. Look with me in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 16. See what he says here. By the way, quick little quote. So Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he's a famous old dead preacher, which is a, it's a great description, by the way. One day... Maybe I will be described. I'm just kidding. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. When a man or woman gets saved, typically the last thing to get saved is their wallet. That's just true, right? It typically tends to be the last step of obedience. It's the last thing in my life, in our lives, that tend to fall under the lordship of Christ. And we're going to talk about why that is and we're talking about how the gospel speaks to that. So let's read, read with me, verse one. Now concerning the collection for the saints. By the way, chapter 15, Christ is risen from the dead. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, sin, where is your victory? Christ is conquered. Next sentence. Now concerning the collection for the saints. The gospel's not everything. It does impact everything, though. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay. Here's what he's saying. Giving in your life ought to be characterized by two things. Priority and persistency. Priority and persistency. You saw it. Priority. First day of the week. It's important. I'm making sure I'm budgeting my money so that I can make giving a priority in my life, my family's life. It's a priority. I can't live the same way that people live who make the amount of money as me. Why? Because giving in my life is a priority. But it's also persistency. He said this. He said, every week. You saw that? Every week. Is giving in your life a priority? Is giving in your life a, pers- is, is a persistent thing that you and your family are doing? Persistency and priority. Think this way. Like, th- this is where the gospel is so helpful here. Because when God saved you, he made you a priority. He came for you. He died for you. He rose for for you. At the right time, he died for the ungodly. Praise God for that. God made saving you a priority. And what is the story of your life but the persistent grace of God? Your whole life is wrapped up in Lamentations 3. His mercies are new every morning. Your life is the story of God's persistent grace. Is giving in your life a priority? And it's something you're doing persistently. Now, here's the thing. Here in the South, um, most people, everything I've just said is not new. You've probably heard it before, giving, going, of course. Yeah, got it, got it. 
but there's a reason we resist this. And it's part of the reason why we're doing this series. Christ culture in the church is the reason why we resist it. Here's the thing. I am a firm believer in both the sufficiency of Scripture and the complexity of the sinner. What that means is the Scriptures are clear. Give, go, obvious, clear, plain. And yet the complexity of the sinner is that we are influenced and impacted by all sorts of things. We resist this because everything we're taught, everything we hear, from the commercials we watch to the celebrities we love, preach a different message. It's the message of consumerism. It's the message that says it is more blessed to gain than to give. And look right at me, that's a different gospel. Has a different functional heaven, wealth, stuff. Has a different functional hell, poverty. Has a different functional savior, money, success, achievement. It's a different gospel. And some of you have bought into that false gospel. The false gospel that says, I am what I have. Hey, look right at me. You are not defined by what you have. You are defined by who has you. You see, are you believing the gospel here? Or are you believing lies? You know, Morgan Housel, in his book, The Psychology of Money, he makes this fascinating point. He says, look, if you want to understand why people bury themselves into debt, don't look at interest rates or the stock market. Those things won't tell the story. That's not why people are in debt, what he says. Not a Christian, by the way. No, no, instead, you ought to study the history of three things. Ready for him? It's the history of greed, insecurity, and false optimism. Greed, insecurity, false optimism. Look at that. Those are all three gospel issues. Here's the point. It's not that you have a giving issue. It's much worse than that. It's that you have a gospel issue. See, this is why many 23-year-olds, they get to college, but I was, I was a college pastor for eight years, seen all the time. They get to college, one of the first things they do, they buy a new car. Why is that? Well, because they're, they're taught. They believe that it is more blessed to gain than to give. Giving. It's the first implication, the first application of the gospel. In your life, in the life of your family, are you making giving a priority? Is giving something you're doing persistently? And let me show you why. Let me show you the bridge between giving and going. Right there in 1 Corinthians, look with me in chapter 16, but look at verse 3. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. <clears throat> Verse five, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter <clears throat> so that you may help me on my journey. Get this wherever I will what? Go. 
Wherever I will go, there's the bridge. You see, it's your generosity that fuels the mission. Paul is saying, give so that missionaries can go. Give so that churches can be planted. Give so that pastors can be trained. You see, when Nehemiah, I'm pretty through Nehemiah, when Nehemiah goes to rebuild the city, in chapter two of the book, he goes to the king and he asks the king for two things. It's two things that every missionary asks for. It's two things that every church planter asks for. It's this, I need some manpower and some money. What he says, in the nature of the church, the, the history of the church of God is the history of the people of God being sacrificial givers and sacrificial goers. You see, the bridge is that your generosity, it fuels the mission. Here's Paul saying, help me go. I'm so thankful for this church. Planted, what, 10 churches in five years? That is ridiculous, crazy generosity. And here is Paul saying, this is, this is the story of God. It's what God does, what church does. The church gives and the church goes, giving. Are you making it a priority? Is it a persistent thing you're doing in your life? Giving. Your second thing, going, going. Look with me now in verse seven. Take a look at how he changed gears a little bit. So we've seen giving, how it fuels the mission. Let's talk about the mission now. Talk about the going. Look with me in verse seven. <clears throat> For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Get this, for a wide door for effective work is open to me. Get this, and there are many adversaries. And, not but, not yet, not however, and. There are many adversaries. What are you saying? The wide door for effective work is this. Something unique is happening. This is not normal. Something special is happening. This is a unique season of gospel advancement in a city. Like the, so the word he uses in the Greek, it's a perfect tense word. What is that? Perfect tense means this. Something has happened and it's changed everything. A door has been opened. That changes the city. It's the implication of God opened a door and it's still open. It's this great reminder that we don't manufacture ministry. How great is that? No, we follow a God who is already on mission. We follow a God who sent his spirit to open up people's hearts. We're just following him. A wide door for effective work has been open to me. You know, this is where conversations turn into conversions. And our hope and our prayer, Noda, that God would use some of these conversations we're having with people and turn it into conversions. We'll think about Noda, where our church sits, within five miles are three of the top six pockets of lostness in North Carolina. So within five miles of, of our church, three of the six top pockets of lostness in the entire state. 
and our hope and our prayer that some of our conversations would turn into conversions. Quick little story. There's a guy who came to church a few weeks ago who heard the gospel, who fell under conviction. By the way, I wasn't there. It was like one of the two, sometimes I, I, I wasn't there at church. I mean, it's the humor of God, right? He hears the gospel, he gets convicted, and he's like, oh, I'm so close. I, I gotta think about it. Comes back the next, next day, and one of our deacons led him to faith in Christ. He wrote the gospel for him on the back of a visitor card. How cool is that? Well, that's what we're talking about. God, more of that, more conversations turning into conversions. It's a wide door. Could it be that God has placed us in this place for such a time as this? For a wide door, perfective work. But listen, it's not just conversions. It's also massive steps of obedience. Some of you know this. Some of you in your life, you could say, there was a time in my life, a spiritual milestone in my life, where it wasn't that I got saved, but I made a very big decision. I decided, you look like your life, I decided to join the church. And that's when things changed for me. I decided to get into a community group. My life has never been the same. I decided, I can pinpoint it, that one day, that one year, I said, I'm going to meet with the Lord every day. I remember that. It's a spiritual milestone. That's also what Paul's talking about, an effective work. Wide door for effective work. Quick little story. There was this guy at our church who started coming a few weeks ago, said to me, there are some things in my life that make it difficult for me to walk with God. Now, being a college pastor for eight years, I knew what that meant. One of two things, typically. Either an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy sin struggle. For him, it was both. It was his non-Christian girlfriend. And I was in Nehemiah, finishing the book. You know how the book ends? Basically, the book ends, it's just chaos. It's terrible. I mean, the, the people of God go back to their sin. They begin to marry other people who don't love God. It's, it's just chaotic. And so I'm dealing with all of this stuff in the chapter. I give a glancing blow to that. Don't date non-Christians. It was not the main point of the sermon. Just a glancing, hey, here you go. And then after the service ends, come up, this happened last week. And he said, I said to him, hey, I have an extra ticket to the Panthers game. Do you want to come with me? He was like, yeah. Oh, hold up. I need to break up with my girlfriend first. And then he said, I'll meet you there before the first quarter ends. And he did it. <laughs> How amazing is that, right? I'm much of like a drive-by, like, we're over, and they ran away. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a massive step of obedience. And for some of you, you know what that's like. You joined the church. You got in a group. You went to the weekender. You broke up with that girlfriend or that boyfriend who does not help you walk with God. It was hard. It was challenging. It was difficult. You don't want to do it, but you know, looking back on your life, that was a massive step of obedience. And Paul would say, a wide door has been opened for effective work. You think about it. I mean, what is the story of Two Cities Church but a wide door for effective work in Winston-Salem? Like, that has been the story of your church. You know how weird it is to tune in your, your sermons? And the first thing Kyle says is, hi, I'm Pastor Kyle. Stop coming to this service. 
go to the Saturday night service. We're out of room. That's strange, okay? I have never said that at my church. I'm always like, please come to our one service. We have coffee, <laughs> but we're church plants. You gotta bring your own creamer, okay? <laughs> but we have coffee, we have coffee. It's a wide door. It's a wide door. Paul is saying, look, this is a unique season of gospel advancement in a city through a church. But here's the thing. Before there is gospel revival out there, typically there has to be gospel renewal in here. You study the history of revivals. There it is. Before revival broke out, out there, a church, a people, a community had gospel renewal in their hearts. What is gospel? Gospel is this. It's when the truths of the gospel no longer are just abstract concepts that you think about. They are realities that hold you. Where sin, grace, forgiveness, heaven, hell, mercy, compassion, kindness, those things are not just words that Christians use. Those things are realities that deeply affect you. That's gospel renewal. That's when words are not just written on a page, on a notepad, but they're written on your heart. That's gospel renewal. When you fall deeper and deeper in love with the gospel, our hope and our prayer as a church, as a people, God, before you open a wide door out there, open a wide door in my heart. Open a wide door in my life. Open a wide door in my church so our people will fall deeper and deeper in love with the grace of God found for us in Jesus. It's gospel renewal. We pray for that. We hope for that. We plead with God that he would give us gospel renewal. Here's Paul saying, look, there's a unique season. Something strange is happening. Read Paul, Colossians, pray for a door, pray for a door, pray for a door. Acts, pray for a door, pray for a door, pray for a door. Corinthians, a wide door's been opened. Something unique and special is happening. Let's just follow God and, and see what he's up to. Like, I want to cultivate within my church a holy curiosity. What is God up to? And, and how can we join him? Right? It's a unique season of gospel advancement. But take a look at what he says next. Right there in verse 9, do what he says. For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Okay, this is interesting. Now, whenever there is great interest in the gospel, there is also great opposition to the gospel. Because here's what the gospel does. It invites and it infuriates. What it does, whenever. There has been great interest in the gospel. There has almost always been great opposition to the gospel because it invites and infuriates. You can, you can see it in the book of Acts. Acts 17, Paul preaches the resurrection. It says that some mocked, but some said, we will hear you again about this. Some believed the gospel is an invitation to life, to freedom, to joy, to grace, 
to compassion, to reconciliation, to redemption, to security. It's an invitation, but it also infuriates. A few chapters later in Acts, he's before the king, and the king says to him, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you out of your mind. What is that? That is the gospel inviting and infuriating. And here is the tendency for us. Hear this. When we get pushback, is to say, I guess God's not in it. I guess God's not for it. I'll tell you, that is not how Paul thinks. Paul thinks the exact opposite. Paul thinks if there is spiritual pushback, I wonder why the world, the flesh, and the devil don't want this. If there is spiritual pushback, I wonder what Satan's afraid of. Could it be a crack? Might become a door, a wide door. Is he afraid of that? Look, I said it before. Satan does not bother churches that do not bother him. What? What's going on? Oh, it's the world and the flesh and the devil trying to close a door. My son, he's five. He has this terrible condition called disobedience. We've tried very hard to cure him of this. It's challenging. So I'll say to him, Apollos, don't open the fridge. What does he think? There must be something good in that fridge. I should open it. And that's wrong, disobedient, but if we could sort of like extrapolate that and apply that over here, here we'd find. We get pushback, we, we share the gospel, it's met with opposition, and instead of recoiling, instead of shrinking back, we say, oh, I wonder, I wonder why the spiritual forces of darkness don't want this. So Paul thinks. Gospel invites, invitation to life, but it also infuriates. You've got to be prepared for that. You know, I remember for, uh, when I was an undergrad, I had a professor. It was a religious studies class. And uh, we're talking about some topic in the Bible. I'm just discussing it, using the Bible to affirm my, my points. And then the professor says to me, stop the whole class. Everybody stop. Says this, you cannot be a serious student of religion and believe the Bible is the word of God. What do you say to that? Yeah, huh? Like, what do you do? <laughs> what is that? That is a wide door for effective work, but there are many adversaries. There's pushback, there's opposition. And at that point, you have a decision to make. Will I shrink back or will I stand up? Will I recoil or will I repeat? Will I continue to walk with God? Will I continue to make God known to, to share and to show the gospel? Or will I just say, I guess God's not up to anything because it's not easy. That's what the gospel does. And look, here's the thing. Some of you know exactly what this can cost you. Like for some of you, you've lost respect. You've lost relationships. You've lost the ability to be promoted at work. Why? Because of this. Because of the infuriating nature of the gospel. And again, you've got to make a decision. What's more important to you? Being likable or being faithful? friend of mine, he used to fight in the UFC. That's right, UFC. 
strong Christian, loves Jesus, he will knock you out and then pray for healing, okay? <laughs> Fought in the UFC and he won his fight in the post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. He shares the gospel. It was great. Just go to our church. Great. And, uh, but I mean, social media destroyed him. I mean, just eviscerated him. Well, a few months later, the UFC canceled his contract. What is that? It's a wide door for effective work, but there's pushback. There's a wide door. God's up to something. God saved this UFC fighter. He's, he loves it. He's excited about it. It's a wide door. He's on TV. Millions of people are watching. Wide door. But there's some adversaries. There's some pushback. There's some spiritual opposition. Again, here's where you have to make the decision. Will I speak up or will I shrink back? Here's what I've learned. It's in this conversation typically, where our idols get revealed. Typically, when it comes to evangelism, that's typically where your idols are revealed. So real quick, what's an idol? An idol is anything in your life that has become way too important to you. Now, most people have this misconception about idolatry that it means you absolutely hate God. That's not always what that means. Think of it this way. Think of your life like a solar system. All these different planets floating around there. So it could be your finances, it could be your relationships, it could be your marriage, it could be your singleness, it could be your career, whatever. They're all planets. Idolatry is when you promote and prioritize one of those planets to be the sun, to be the center. Which, by the way, do you know why the sun is the center of our solar system? Because it's the heaviest, weightiest thing in our solar system. And in in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for glory, get this, the Hebrew word for glory is the word habod. Literally means the weightiness of God, the heaviness of God. When we talk about and sing about and preach about the glory of God, we're talking about, we're, pre we're preaching about the heaviness and the weightiness of God. And this is why God has to be first place because nothing else you would turn to can hold the rest of your life. This is why earth cannot be the center of the solar system. It's not heavy enough. Everything will just fall down. Here's the whole point. For some of you, what people think about you is way too heavy in your life. For some of you, your career is way way too weighty in your life. And it's going to make everything else fall down. And if you would just learn how to demythologize your idols, what does that mean? To demythologize your idols is to look at it through the lens of scripture, through the gospel, and say, it's just money. It's just what people think about me. It's not God. It can't hold everything in my life. My whole life cannot revolve around people think about me, but God. You know, the sun is so heavy, so weighty, that even a planet named Pluto, which I checked last week, it's a planet again, okay? <laughs> I know it goes back and forth. It's a planet again. They, they agree now. Even a planet like Pluto, 3.9 
billion miles away. It is still stuck in its gravitational pull. See, if you would make God the center of your life, he can hold everything. This is where our idols get revealed. It's in going. It's in evangel. It's in creating and cultivating relationships for the purpose of advancing the kingdom. And here's the big, big point. It's not that you have a going issue. It's much worse. It's that you have a gospel issue. And so for us as a church, here's what we've been wrestling with. What does it look like for us to put our yes on the table? For us to say, God, anywhere, anything, anytime for your glory. What does that look like? You see, me and my wife were on the car the other day, and we saw this, this commercial, or we heard this commercial, and it said, live your yes. Live your yes. Look at me. That is the message the culture says to you. Live your yes. And for some of you, you can't give your yes because you're too busy giving your yes to things that don't matter. Will I be consumed by what people think about me? Yes. Will I be consumed with my career? Yes. Look, the gospel does not say live your yes. The gospel says give your yes. Are, are you willing to put your yes on the table? God, anywhere, anything, anytime for your glory. Will you pray a dangerous prayer? God, send me. Send me. Isaiah 6, send me. Even though you're, you're telling me to preach to people who will never listen. You're telling me to preach to people whose hearts have grown dull. Send me. You pray that prayer, that dangerous prayer. God, send me anywhere, anytime, for anything. I can imagine in a room like this, God is sending some of you. God is raising up and sending some of you to go to new places and speak to new faces. Maybe it's overseas. Or maybe it's in a small little replant in Noda, Charlotte. Who knows? Will you pray that dangerous prayer? Send me anytime, anywhere for your glory. Let's pray. So God, we do pray that you would send us. You've prepared us, you've saved us, you've equipped us with everything good that we might do your will. And we pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would send us burden our heart, Lord God. We pray that the mission would keep us up at night. We'd leverage our time, our talent, and our treasure for the glory of God and the advance of the kingdom. God, I pray for those who can hear my voice, that they would hear your voice. Sometimes the still small voice. I'm just obvious. Use us. Send us. This we pray. In Christ's name, amen.